Seek first the kingdom, and all things will find their place. Seek first the Lord, and all his righteousness, and seek his holy face, and the world and all its pleasures will just strangely fade and dim and you'll find true peace in him when you seek first the kingdom when i look back across my life like thumbing through the pages of an open book I see the things God used to bring me to this place of peace. I'm a little bit ashamed of just how long it took. And when I stop to realize the years that I have wasted on things that cannot stand the test of fire, I pray, dear Lord, forgive me and make my one desire to seek first the kingdom seek first the kingdom and all things will find their place seek first the lord and all his righteousness and seek his holy face and the world and all his pleasures will just strangely fade and dim and you'll find true peace in him when you seek first the kingdom seek first the kingdom and all things will find their place seek first the lord and all his righteousness and seek his holy face and the world and all its pleasures will just strangely fade and dim and you'll find true peace in him when you seek first the kingdom when you seek first the kingdom Seek first the kingdom. All right. Great job, guys. Uh, we're going to be in Luke t- uh, this morning, the book of Luke. Luke chapter 10. The book of Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, and we're going to read a very familiar portion of Scripture this morning. Luke chapter 10. We're going to begin reading in verse number 25. So Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse number 25, once you find it. And if you're physically able to, let's go ahead and stand in reverence to God's Word this morning. Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse number 25. Luke 10, 25, this, is, this part of it is a familiar scenario in the ministry of Jesus. The Bible says, Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him. If it was no lawyer, it was, uh, it was a religious leader. It was always someone standing up with a question to tempt the Lord. And the Bible says that he stood up to tempt him, saying, Master, Master, 
What shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. Can I just say that we could paraphrase verse number 27 like this? You have to be perfect to get eternal life. And that's why in verse number 28, Jesus said, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. Verse number 29, but he willing to justify himself. In other words, what he's saying is, well, nobody's perfect. Isn't that right? That's what a lot of people would say. So he willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. By chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed and came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. I want to ask you a question this morning. Who do you want to be like? Who do you want to be like? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for all the many blessings you've bestowed upon us already, dear Lord. Thank you for the lessons that we heard in Sunday school and our various classes, Lord God. And Father, we thank you for the, the, the hymns that we got to sing, the song that we got to hear, Lord, the privilege of praising you in song. And now, Father God... What a joy to have you speak to us through your word. And Lord, I pray that our ears would be opened, Lord God, that our minds would be cleared, that we would reverence you this morning as we hear what your word has to say. Father, that we'd be willing to make whatever changes that are necessary. Lord, if there's anyone here who does not know Christ as personal Savior, I pray, dear Lord, that you'd cause them to see your, their need. Father God, we pray for the power of your Holy Spirit to be in the service this morning, and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. All right, you can go and be seated. You know, as I read this, I notice that there's kind of a, not a progression, but just the opposite of that. As this lawyer says, well, who is my master, or who is my neighbor? And the Bible says he, he asked that question wanting to justify himself because he knows it's impossible to keep the law, which it is impossible to keep the law. Every single one of us, if we were just going to take the Ten Commandments portion of the law, every single one of us, in one way or another, have broken every single one of those Ten Commandments. And so he willing to justify himself. Praise the Lord. You don't have to justify yourself. Jesus Christ died on the cross. He paid the price for our sins. He paid that penalty. And so if we accept him as personal savior by repenting of our sins, acknowledging we are sinners, he is the savior. He will justify us. 
We don't have to justify ourselves. But here is a great, great, I believe a great story. And we see this opposite of progression here as he asks, well, who is my neighbor? This, uh, this uh, not likely, but definitely being a Jewish lawyer, who is my neighbor? And so Jesus starts with what he would consider the highest part of society. First, he says that there was a man who was, uh, uh, went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And so the implication here is that he'd gone to Jerusalem to worship, and now he's headed back home. And while he's headed home, this man who had been worshiping God in the temple up on the Temple Mount is taken by thieves and they not only rob him, but they beat him half to death and then they leave him to die. And the Bible tells us that here comes uh, a priest, a priest who was considered the, the, the highest part of society. He was a ruler of the Jews. He was one to be emulated, one to be looked up to. And the Bible says this priest, he's on his way, obviously, to Jericho. And he sees the man, and so he passes over on the other side. But then we come to another individual who is not quite as high as the priest, but is of the same lineage and of the same family, because all priests were Levites. So now here comes a Levite. Not a, not a priest, but still part of the Levite family. And the Bible says that he comes and he sees this man laying half dead. And he goes on the other side and he passes by. Well, now we've come to what this lawyer would consider the scum of the earth, a Samaritan. We're going to talk about this here in a little bit, but if you know anything about Jewish history in the New Testament, they didn't think highly of Samaritans. As a matter of fact, the only thing worse than a Gentile was a Samaritan. And so as Jesus continues, and by the way, Jesus being a Jew, telling the story to another Jew, a lawyer, and he's used two uh, individuals that are part of, the, uh, part of the, uh, the, the Jewish kingdom, if you will, the priests and the Levite. And now here comes a mixed breed, a Samaritan. And then Jesus uses the Samaritan as an example of who your neighbor is. But the question I want to ask you this morning is, who do you want to be like? Well, even those who've never read the Bible and know very little about Christianity have been known to use the phrase, Good Samaritan. As a matter of fact, it's used in many of our companies. There's a Good Samaritan insurance company. Uh, Many of our hospitals are called Good Samaritan hospitals because it has become known in our vernacular as something that we should all strive to be. There's more to this illustration, however, than just the lesson of the Good Samaritan. In, those portion, in this portion of scripture, we see four different types of people. And actually, there's five. We're going to look at that one also. But four different types of people. All four of these represent the types that we find in just about every circle of life, even in our churches. And of these four types of people, Christians ought to strive to be like one of those individuals. However, 
we often find that we are more like the villains than we really care to admit. And so I want us to take a look at these four types of people and again asking the question, who do you want to be like? The first one we find is actually the one asking the question in verse number 25. The Bible says, And a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So here is an educated person. Here is a person who's gone through school. Here's a person who would be considered by society to be a success. But when it comes to godly things, he's a pessimist. And incidentally, those educated in our society today would certainly be considered, in matters of faith, pessimistic. And this man here was a pessimist. What causes pessimism when it comes to things of faith? Disbelief disbelief, uh, a lack of faith. You see, the pessimist is a cynic. And cynics like this one try to present themselves oftentimes as, as believers, but their cynicism always gives them away. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 35, we see these in, in the church. Some man will say, how are the dead raised up? I'm too, I'm too educated to believe that anyone could be raised from the dead. Now, I like Christianity and, and I like uh, the love of Jesus, but how can anyone with common sense say that the dead are raised up? And with what body do they come? And of course, Paul begins to answer that question by saying, Thou fool. Those without faith are actually the ones who are extremely foolish. This lawyer, this scribe, didn't believe and was calling Christ uh, master sarcastically. Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master! Well, he didn't believe that Jesus was master. Now, keep in mind, this lawyer was a religious man, He just wasn't a believer in Jesus Christ. Boy, there's a lot of religious individuals out there who are, even those who call themselves Christians, maybe even are saved, but are very cynical when it comes to miracles, when it comes to trusting in Christ uh, for things in this life, giving your life wholly to God. Notice when Jesus asked him what's in the law, he answered, verse number 27, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind. Stop right there. You know why so many Christians have a hard time living that life? Giving God all your life, all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. We like to give God our spare change. Modern day Christianity today, we go to church Sunday morning and the rest of the week we live for ourselves. We'll put a little bit of money in the offering plate. We might even tithe, but as far as sacrificial giving that would cause us to change our lifestyles, boy, that's just crazy. That is just nuts. And of course, that's because we have become so cynical when it, in regard to our worshiping Jesus. This lawyer was a cynic. Cynics tend to question everything and are satisfied with nothing. 
There's the one in the business meeting, the church business meeting, who is trying to be the voice of reasoning, but, but is actually the voice of contention. Hey, I'm just trying to be the voice of reasoning. Here's the interesting thing about a church, and I've said this all along, that you cannot run a church like a secular business. It just doesn't work that way. You got to run a church by faith. Sometimes churches have to step out by faith. And uh, because without faith, it's impossible to please God. It makes it very difficult at times to operate in this business world because sometimes we rely on businesses and those businesses want to see that we are uh, that we are shaped like a typical business. Uh, one of the difficult things about getting a loan for our property out here. Of course, the property's paid off. We're trying to get the get a construction loan so we can get started on that thing. Is we don't operate like a business. It's completely different than than. Uh, first of all, we don't have a business owner. They always want the business owner. Who's the business owner? We don't have a business owner. Uh, I'm the pastor. Certainly not the owner. God's the owner of the church. God started the church. He's the final authority in the church. Do we have leaders in the church? Sure, sure we do, because that's biblical. And then when it comes to other things, even Christian organizations, it's really hard because many of them don't operate by faith either. They operate like a business. Only a true church of Jesus Christ is going to operate like a true church of Jesus Christ. There are cynics in many churches, just as there were in the congregation of Israel during the wilderness wanderings. They couldn't enjoy the blessings of God because they were too busy complaining about those very blessings. For instance, in Numbers chapter 11, we read about individuals that were complaining that they didn't have any flesh. Numbers 11, verse number 4, the Bible says, The mixed multitude that was among them fell a-lusting. And the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? You know, rather than being thankful that they weren't out in the wilderness starving, because every night God rained manna upon the, the encampment. And all they had to do is go out and grab a, a day's worth of it. That was it. They were told not to grab any more than a day's worth because they were to have faith that God would do it again that, that night. When they did try to grab more than a day's worth, the Bible says the next morning it turned into maggots and worms and it was just absolutely disgusting. God wanted them to rely on him daily. So they were only allowed to go out and get a day's worth. And you could understand people complained, first of all, we got to go gather this. Oh my goodness. Why can't God just drop it on our plates? Why do we have to go out? And, and, and uh, the parents would tell the children, all right, guys, it's, it's time to go out and gather manna. Oh, man, again. We have to gather manna again. I'm so tired of this. Every morning we got to go out and we've got to gather manna. Why can't it just be brought to us? Why can't we YouTube it into our houses? Well, it was a blessing. But oftentimes, rather than being thankful for the blessings, we curse God for those blessings. 
I'm so tired of this manna. It's the same thing day in and day out. Why can't we have flesh? And then the mixed multitude will come in. And they'll say, well, you know, the world, they get flesh. Aren't you tired of manna all the time? Don't you want flesh to eat? Just like oftentimes you can get the mixed multitude in the church that'll say, man, I'm so sick of these hymns. I'm so tired of, uh, of uh, uh, the emphasis being on, on the preaching. Man, we hear preaching every time we come to church. It's preaching, preaching, preaching. The Bible, preacher opens the Bible. It's the same thing week in and week out. Preaching, preaching, preaching. Why can't, why can't we have a, a drama or something? Why can't we have a rock band? Why can't we have some entertainment? You know, that rather than being thankful that God had his word written, that God preserved his word, that God speaks to us through his word, that God has given us a local congregation that we can attend, we can fellowship, we can be encouraged, we can be exhorted. We say, man, we have to drive to church again today. Why can't we... Why can't we just YouTube it? Why can't we just have it piped in? Why can't it be served to me on a, a, on a platter? Go to a foreign country where churches are illegal and Christians are starving for what we get here every Sunday, every Wednesday, and every opportunity that we get. But instead, we tend to become cynics and complain. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful to have the health where I can get up on Sunday. I'm thankful to have a car that, that uh, will actually start when I get into it. I'm happy to have all the resources that God has given to us. I'm thankful for a church because I need the fellowship. But I also need the preaching of God's word. I need the, the singing of those hymns that remind me to, to seek first the kingdom and all things will find their place. There are cynics in many churches. A cynic can see a miracle and still be negative about that miracle. Just like those who complained about the manna, uh, the same thing every day. And we have to go and we have to collect it and we have to bring it into the house. Uh, I just get so tired of it. Well, there's the alternative. You could be hungry. You could be starving. A cynic can see a miracle and still be negative. Matthew twelve twenty two. Then was brought unto him one possessed with the devil, blind and dumb, and he healed him. Insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Is not this the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fella doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. Boy, we can see that which is good, and we can become so pessimistic and turn it into something that's that's bad. Oh, man, my parents, they drug me to church every single Sunday. And, 
and on Wednesday night and, and, and on visitation, every chance they drug me to church. Man, I am not going to make my kids go through that. Well, you know what? What your parents did was a good thing for you, but you've turned it into a bad thing. The pessimist. But then there's the second, the second group of people in Luke chapter 10. And sadly, there's a lot of these in our churches also. Luke chapter 10, verse number 30. The Bible tells us, Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves. So I moved from the pessimist to the pillager here. The thieves, they stripped him of his raiment, they wounded him, and they departed, leaving him half dead. See, these are those that wanted to enjoy the benefits of another man's labor and then be able to criticize that. And we see this in society. Regardless of where you stand on situations, you know, the draft dodger and the pacifist, they enjoy the rewards of those who fought and died for their country. Those who kneel during the national anthem can only kneel because of the national anthem. Those who kneel when the flag is brought out can only kneel, irony of ironies, they can only kneel because of that flag. They wouldn't get away with it in other countries. But they want to enjoy what that flag stands for without honoring what that flag stands for. Our own children often want to enjoy the benefits of the home without partaking in any domestic chores. Let them get away with it and you're raising pillagers. You're raising takers. And I know it's a fight. Hey, I raised kids. It's a fight to get them to work in the house and outside of the house. It is a constant battle. Sadly, I've dealt with parents, though, who are just weary of the battle. So they'll just do it themselves. It's the worst thing you can do for your kid. The absolute worst thing. Which is probably why we have so many that are not kids anymore, but they're still living at home, siphoning off of their parents because... We did this for them. If you work hard and make a decent paycheck, you'll find that much of it goes to takers. The government wants to make it so that the more you make, the more you're penalized. Because there's a lot of people out there with their hands out saying, give me, give me, give me. But not only do we see it in society, we also see it in many churches Many want the benefits of Christianity without any obligation. These love hearing about the sufferings of the Savior, the splendors of heaven, and the love of God. But you better not preach on money. You have no business teaching on money. Although Jesus taught on money about as much as he taught on any other subject. As a matter of fact, we go to the book of Malachi. The Bible talks about those who do not tithe are pillagers, plunderers. The Bible uses the term thieves. The blessings of Christianity sound great, but to have to, uh, but to, have to live like a Christian, 
give like a Christian, sacrifice like a Christian. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Leviticus chapter 20, verse number 7. Sanctify yourselves, therefore, and be ye holy, for I am the Lord your God. We have forgotten about this in modern-day casual Christianity today. Sanctify yourselves. Be holy. Honor God. Reverence God. Listen, that's not a preference. That's doctrine. Keep Him first in your life. I am the Lord, all capitals. I am the Lord, your God. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 15. As he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Many want to enjoy the programs, the social benefits of the church, without having to take part in the maintenance of the facilities, the sacrificial giving that the Lord requires. These are spiritual welfare recipients who tax the church. They're pillagers, often caused by pessimism. But then we have a third group of individuals, a couple of people. Luke chapter 10, verse number 30, we read about the, the thieves. They took what they wanted and they departed, leaving him half dead. Now in verse number 31, We read about the proud. The Bible says, And by chance there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed on the other side. And likewise, the Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him, and he passed on the other side. There there were probably very good reasons in the minds of the priest and the Levite why they passed on the other side. It's the same reasons that we give when we don't go out on outreach or we don't try to lead that soul to Christ or we're not witnesses. You know, first of all, we're very busy. There's a lot of things to do. This victim was all bloody. They probably didn't want to get their priestly garments dirty. It would be too inconvenient to have to go home and change. You know, I'm on my way to Jerusalem. I'm, I'm on a schedule. For the priest, maybe it was his time to go up. And, and you know, they did a rotation service. And, uh, and, and it was his time to go up. It was his rotation. And, and you know, I, I'm already late as it is. People are counting on me. People are relying on me. I've got to go up, and my family's counting on me. My family's relying on me. and This is just going to take way more time than I have time for. Time doesn't grow on trees, after all. Uh, once once, Once time is gone, you can never get it back. And I've got to get going. And the Levite, perhaps the same thing. Even though Levites weren't priests, they still often had jobs in the tabernacle. You realize these are important jobs. My job is just very important. 
Everyone thinks their job is important, but no one's job is important as a soul. But these, my, these were pre, this was a priest. This was a Levite. Whether we have to get our clothes bloody, swallow our pride, inconvenience ourselves. Satan is robbing this world blind, and we need to be willing to help the victims. They were both on their way to Jerusalem. Both worked in the temple. Thus, they were both in a big hurry. Perhaps they were respecters of persons. And this individual wasn't worthy of their time. James chapter 2, verse number 1. says, My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. In other words, everyone deserves the gospel. Or should I say this? No one deserves the gospel. Not even those of us who are sitting in here. I would guess that most of us here have heard the gospel, received the gospel, are saved because of the gospel. And I would say this, not a one of us deserves the gospel. And so because we don't deserve it, we are obligated to share it with whoever we come into contact with, regardless of whether we think they deserve it or not. They both thought the victim was going, perhaps going to die anyway. The Bible says he was half dead. You know, sometimes you pass by someone because there's just no hope for that person. That person is too far gone. That person is so entrenched in sin. You know, it's amazing that Mary Magdalene was possessed by seven demons. She was pretty far gone. The demoniac of Gadara... He lived in the cemeteries and the tombs. He wouldn't even wear clothes. He was pretty far gone. But never too far gone for Jesus. They both thought the victim was going to die anyway, so their efforts would just be wasted. You know, many churches have abandoned the invitation, the altar call, for this reason. Altar calls don't work anyway. And you have altar call after altar call. Can I say, if you have an altar call for 10 years and one person gets saved, it's worth 10 years worth of altar calls. We don't know if this victim died or not. You know, one thing the Bible does not reveal, did this guy live? We don't know. That wasn't the reason for the illustration. The reason for the illustration was a priest passed by him, a Levite passed by him. This lawyer would have passed by him because he asked the question wanting to justify himself, but the Samaritan did not. We know that the Samaritan took him to an inn and and laid him there. He may have died there. We don't know. Now, the implication is that the efforts of the Samaritan saved him, but that's not the purpose for the illustration. The purpose of the illustration is, who do you want to be like? 
As bad as an excuse as it was for the priest and the Levite, it's just as bad for the priests of God in the church. Don't be a pessimist. Don't be a pillager. Don't be too proud. The last individual that we see is the one we're going to deal with this morning. Verse number 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. He went to him. He bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them uh, to the host and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I'll repay thee. Now, which of these three, thinkest thou, was the neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? So we have the pessimist, that's the lawyer asking the question. We have the pillagers, those are the thieves who didn't want to work, but still wanted to get. We have the proud, and I just don't have the time, I'm, I'm too important, I've got other things to do. And now we've got the provider, this lowly Samaritan. If this victim did die, the Samaritan could honestly say, I did everything I could to make sure he lived. We know this, that probably 99 people out of 100 that you witness to are going to chase you away. Good chance 99 out of 100 are going to die in their sins. But if you witness to them, they're not dying in their sins because of you. They're dying in their sins because that was their choice. If this individual did die, it was not because the Samaritan passed by on the other side, like the priest and the Levite. He took his time. The Bible says he took the time to bind his wounds He poured oil and wine into those wounds. He even took him to an inn. He didn't just uh, prop him up, which, by the way, uh, a lot of churches do. They'll give you the gospel, and and, and you might even accept it, but there's there's no follow-up. There's no discipleship. There's no help there. He actually took him and put him on his beast and, and took him to an inn where he could get better. Rather than say, well, you know, I've done more than most people, which is what a lot of Christians are satisfied with. You know, I do more than most people. Well, doing more than most people, but are you, are you, are you making your body a living sacrifice? Presenting your body a living sacrifice. We can always do more. He gave of his time. The Bible says he gave of his substance. He gave of his money. He gave of his talent. You know, maybe this guy, maybe he was a a doctor or maybe he worked in the medical industry. If he did, he used it for the Lord that day. Many people have talents that they never use for the Lord. This should be the goal of each and every one of us who are saved, to be like the Samaritan. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Acts chapter 20, verse number 26, Wherefore I take you to record, Paul said to that church in Ephesus, 
He said, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. You know, Paul got a lot of heat, not only because he preached the gospel, but because he went beyond. He preached against sin. He preached godly living. He discipled. Much like, the, the Samaritan is much like the Savior. You know, there are so many similarities here between the Samaritan and the Savior. Both were despised. I think that often gets lost in this, in this lesson. This lawyer worked with the priests. As a matter of fact, he's working for the priest right now and trying to tempt Jesus and trying to cause Jesus to trip up. This lawyer's working for the priests. He loved the priests. Maybe he was one of them and had another occupation. We don't know, but we do know this. These lawyers and these priests, they all worked very close together. And so Jesus, in this illustration, first uses a priest. Then he uses a Levite. Now he's using someone that the priest and the Levites and the lawyer and the common day Jew would despise. A Samaritan. The Samaritan was, for lack of a better term, a half-breed or a mixed breed. He had Jewish blood in him, but it was, it was tainted as far as the Jews were concerned. At the fall of the northern kingdom, when the northern kingdom of Israel fell in 722 B.C. to the Assyrians, the Assyrian kings planted colonists in Israel They intermarried with the Israelites. Their descendants came to be known by the Jews or by Judah as Samaritans. And the Jews despised them. They had no dealings with the Samaritans. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 3, when Jesus purposed to go into Samaria, which is something that the Jews didn't do, you realize if you look at a map to go from Nazareth down to Jerusalem, it's a lot quicker to go by a straight line, which meant going through Samaria. But the Jews hated Samaritans so much, they'd go around, even though it would add to their trip. But Jesus, when he was going through, went through. And the disciples, the Bible says they didn't dare question him, but they were questioning him. Why would we go through Samaria? And as they went into that Samaritan city, the Bible says Jesus stood by the well and and sent the disciples on errands. And while Jesus was by the well, he began communicating or conversing with that woman at the well. And one of her questions was, when he asked, can you get me some water? She said, how, how is it that you being a Jew are asking water of me who am a Samaritan? The Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. As a matter of fact, if you're a typical Jew, if I hand you water, you're, gonna, you're not even going to touch it because it's, it's dirty, it's polluted. Jesus was not a typical Jew. He was not a respecter of persons. The the Bible says that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior, not just of the Jews, but of the world. Praise God for that. 
The Samaritans were despised. And this Samaritan was an example of an individual who was despised by that lawyer, but who actually was Jesus' illustration of what a neighbor is. Who a neighbor is. And Jesus was also despised. Despised by the religious establishment. But the Samaritan is also much like Jesus in that both gave all they could. Hey, the Samaritan, we know what Jesus did for us. He gave not he gave everything. He came and he ministered for for he lived here for thirty years, ministered for over three. He died on the cross, he gave his life, he rose again. He gave his blood so that we can be cleansed by his blood. He gave everything. This Samaritan pretty much gave everything he could. He gave of his time. He stopped. He was just as busy as anyone else. This was a, this was a road of commerce. This was a road of business. And I guarantee you, he was on a business trip just like the priest and just like the Levite. But he stopped, and he, he, he gave of his time, he gave of his effort, he gave of his money. We know that Jesus did the same. What is required for a man to be saved? It requires the life of Jesus Christ, and Jesus gave that life so that man could be saved. People who die and go to hell cannot blame Jesus because Jesus did everything necessary so no one would have to go to hell. As a matter of fact, Scripture says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Why is it Jesus promised to come 2,000 years ago and has not come yet? Peter reminds us God's not, he's not slack concerning his promises, as some encounter slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. Oh, the thousands, the millions that die and go to an eternal hell. It's not because of Jesus. He did everything so that no one would have to die and go to an eternal hell. Well, not only was the Samaritan despised like Jesus, not only did he give all he could like Jesus, I want you to notice he also promised to return like Jesus. The Bible tells us in verse number 35, On the morrow when he left, when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him and whatsoever thou spendest more when I come again, I will repay thee. He says, I am coming back. Now here he says, he takes out two pence. He goes, this will hold you until I come back. Jesus certainly left much. He left instructions. The Bible also tells us that shortly after he left, he poured down on the church the Holy Spirit. Here, this will hold you until I come back. 
When we accept Christ as personal Savior, we receive the Holy Spirit, the Bible tells us, and it becomes the earnest of our inheritance. Just as that Samaritan handed two pence and says, here, this will hold you till I come back. When I come back, if, if you need more, I will, I will give you the rest. I will take care of it. Jesus has given us the earnest of our inheritance, the Holy Spirit, a guarantee. He is coming back. And a guarantee that if we accept him as Savior, that we have a home in heaven forever. And he's going to take care of it. Along with the rewards that he gives us, the crowns. The Samaritan promised he said, if you have to spend beyond this, you'll not outgive me. He says, when I come back, I'll pay it all back, I promise you. Look at what he says on the morrow, verse 35. When he departed, he took out two pence. He gave them to the host and said unto him, take care of him. Whatsoever thou spendest more when I come again, I'll repay thee. The implication is that he would repay more than was actually spent. In other words, you can't outgive the Samaritan. We've learned many of us have learned this. You cannot outgive God. You just can't do it. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, all thy strength, all thy soul, all thy finances. You cannot outgive God. Try it. Prove me, he says. Bring the tithes and prove me and see if I don't open the windows of heaven and pour you out enough bless, uh, and pour you out a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. No one has ever been able to outgive the Lord. But the pessimist says, I can't afford to tithe. God just requires too much. The pillager says, how can you bless me? What does this church have to offer me? The proud says, well, you know, I like, I, I, I like those benefits, but, but I don't have time. The provider says, whatever is needed, even if I have to give my life, whatever is needed. Of the four types of people, obviously, we should strive to be like the latter. Maybe this morning, however, you're the prey. The one that was overtaken. The one left for half dead. The one at the mercy of this world. The Bible says that we're all that person before we're saved. Before we are born again. Like this man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, the only thing life has given you is blow after blow, question after question. I'm here to tell you this morning, Jesus has the healing and he has the answers. And I am so thankful for that because we know this. Our politicians certainly don't have the answers. We know this. The medical industry lacks answers. We know this. The education system certainly lacks answers. And I'm not being critical. I'm just stating the facts. Nobody knows everything. But Jesus, not only does he have the answers, 
He is the answer. In Isaiah chapter 45, verse number 20, Isaiah writes, Assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together, ye that are escaped of the nations. They have no knowledge that set up wood of their graven image and pray unto a God that cannot save. Tell ye and bring them near. Yea, let them take counsel together. Who hath declared this from ancient time? Who hath told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? And there is no God beside me. A just God, a Savior. There is none beside me. Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none else. In Matthew chapter eleven twenty eight, that God became flesh and dwelt among us. And he said this, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. In John 11, that same Savior says, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Romans chapter 10, verse number 9. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him, shall not be ashamed. In other words, believe on him. You'll not be confused. You'll not be ashamed. You'll not say, well, hey, wait a minute. I thought this was supposed to take care of me. Like we do with much of the world. My, we elect a president and things fall apart and Well, wait a minute. This wasn't supposed to happen. We listened to the advice of uh, of this man, and 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 it goes just the opposite. And well, wait a minute. That wasn't supposed to happen. We we're confounded. We're confused. But the Bible says, if you believe on Him, no confusion, no being confounded. Trust, believe. Accept him as your Savior. He will never let you down. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. With every head bowed and with every eye closed.